1: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Monday February 12 2018 i'm your host eric dame Jake Hughes is your producer. Coming up on today's show, you know how we have a different veteran service organization on the show every day of the week? Well, Mondays used to be the wild card slot where we'd have a variety of organizations on or replay top interviews with our regulars. But starting today, we welcome a new weekly guest. Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America will be joining us today for the first time and on Mondays from here on out. Their chief policy officer, Melissa Bryant, will join us this morning to talk about a variety of topics, including IAVA's recent poll on this military parade idea that's been getting a lot of press. Later, the vice president of the Fisher House Foundation will join us live in studio. Carrie Childress is a Navy veteran and currently works with Fisher House to provide a home away from home for the families of those receiving care at military and VA medical centers. Can't wait to talk to her about that because it really is some amazing work that the Fisher Foundation is doing. I also can't wait to talk to Jake Hughes because of the amazing work that he's doing sitting in the studio with me, and there he is right now. Good morning,
2: Jake. It's tireless work, but you know someone has to do it.
1: Tireless, thankless. Nobody thanked you for coming in here and sitting down and putting on the headphones and making sure the microphone was in the right spot. You did it nonetheless. Nevertheless, he persisted. Yes, because I am a (laughs)
2: professional just like that.
1: There you go. Well, of course, it's Monday, so how was your weekend?
2: uh good i uh just hung out playing some video games typical lazy weekend i
1: did a little bit of that too forza horizon 3 is what i'm playing currently which is a car racing game that's uh you know i noticed car racing video games over the years got a little bit more what's the word i'm looking for realistic to the point where they almost weren't fun like it was impossible to drive <laughs> the Forza Horizon series it's more like the old school it's it's cool you can still tune your cars and make them faster and you can get all sorts of amazing real life cars on there including some very crappy real life cars on there <laughs> I got the uh, have you ever seen like Mr. Bean the show Mr. Bean yes do you remember the three wheeled car that he would oftentimes like come into contact with and have like a rivalry with it's yes. called a Reliant it's it's a legendary british vehicle it was made for about 20 years starting in the 50s and going until the 70s it was three wheels one wheel in front two in back uh it you you didn't need a driver's license to drive it you needed a motorcycle license because it didn't count as a as a car basically um and they were known for tipping over well i unlocked one of those in the game and boy is it about the most difficult ridiculous thing to drive (laughs) i did not enjoy it i was like nope never touching this thing again but that and then, you know, I wasn't feeling well last week for a few days. You know that. You were here. Uh, there was uh, a day that I left a little early because I wasn't feeling well. And then later in the week, started feeling better. And by like Saturday, this cold that had gone away on Thursday and Friday, right back, right back on Saturday and Sunday morning. Everybody in my house has it. We have a five-year-old. They're little Petri dishes with feet just walking around bringing bacteria everywhere. Uh, so I spent most of the weekend just uh, rotating with my lovely wife on who would rest and who would be watching him and taking care of it. Other than a trip to Costco, yeah, we didn't do much of anything this weekend,
2: really. Yeah, so. that's a good weekend, man. Not, well, not not being sick, but yeah, just yeah.
1: sitting in doing nothing. Doing nothing. And, and when it's rainy, oh, I love the rain. Helps me go to sleep. Here's the problem. The rain is trying to help me go to sleep, and my five-year-old is like, Daddy, Daddy, watch this. Watch what I can do. Hey, Daddy, come play with this. Hey, Daddy, touch it. <laughs> just, oh, God, kid, just let me take a nap for a little bit never does never does but that's okay
2: you got to find that you got to find that pause button on him somewhere you know what 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 does pause
1: him and gets him to to focus a little bit on things is when he has food that he really wants so i think it was friday night my wife was just like i don't want to cook i don't think you want to cook it's been a long week Let's order a pizza. Pizzas is the universal unifier. If you meet someone who doesn't like pizza, that's not a human being. You don't
2: need that kind of negativity in your life.
1: That's not a human being. That's an alien visiting the planet, and you should try to figure out where they're from via whatever means, uh, legal means necessary, because... Who doesn't like at least some sort of pizza even the vegans out there those people who don't eat any meat or meat products or whatever there are vegan pizzas where they i don't know what they put that's they pretend is cheese and they all are that disgusting stuff. oh vegan pizzas yeah I, I i've had never, a slice before I, oh i would never do that but if you like veggies you throw that on there you like meat eh, pepperoni uh, mushrooms are uh, good not meat but i like pepperoni and mushroom that's my standard go-to for a pizza one thing that people have looked for over the years is perhaps a pizza MRE. Now, Jake, you were in the Army. You guys are more familiar with the MRE than uh, than the Navy is, perhaps mm-hmm. more than anybody except for the Marine Corps, who's about as familiar with them as the Army is. So there is a story on ConnectingMets.com by our Matt Saintsing, also in the Army. Uh, he wrote about the fact that pizza MREs remain just out of reach. It's called the Holy Grail of MREs. That's what Stars and Stripes said back in 2013. For decades, people have been asking for it, but they're going to uh, bite into it and not say this is pizza. At the time, like, this is what we have right now. You're going to bite into it. It's not going to taste like pizza. And Matt's whole story is about how, like, listen, we've put a man on the moon, but we can't figure out a way to get pizza into an MRE. Made me think. The story's great. It's a fun story. It's cool. Like, you know, you think about Yeah, why don't they have certain things in MREs that people would like? It made me think back to the MREs that I ate when I'd be traveling with the Marine Corps or uh, when I was with the Germans in Afghanistan. I had some German MREs. Heavy on the pork, the German MREs. (laughs) Um, What was your favorite and your least
2: favorite MRE while you were in? Hmm. Favorite MRE would probably have to be beef roast with vegetables because Mm. it came with chocolate peanut butter. Mm. That's like the Holy Grail. I don't care what you say about that jalapeno or bacon cheese, chocolate peanut butter. That's the Holy Grail. Yeah. And the worst one, uh, country captain chicken. Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's like, it's a chicken breast, a processed and chunked chicken breast inside this, what's supposed to be salsa. It's disgusting. I and was, I think that's the that's the thing. I think that's why they don't have pizza MREs because we don't want to ruin pizza. Yeah, well, you that's know?
1: part of what they say is like if you bite into what they are able to keep in an MRE, because an MRE needs to it needs to have a specific shelf life for it to, to qualify because they don't all get eaten at the same time. I mean, I was eating MREs in 2000 that I'm pretty sure were made in like 1980s. Like there was a. Uh, <laughs> there would be like a uh, Charles in Charge, uh, you know, collector sticker inside, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, that. Not true, but it'd be funny if there was. Um, there are certain things that, that keep well and certain things that don't. My favorite one, and my again, my time with American MREs kind of came to an end in like 2001. When I was in Iceland, I would travel with the Marine Corps Security Force Company there uh, when they left the island to go do exercises that they couldn't do on the island. I would go and film them and all that stuff, and I would eat the MREs just like everybody else did. I Just because I was a fancy pants journalist didn't mean I got special treatment, so... There was um, a beef stew one. So you have these names like Captain Crunchy's Chicken Spectacular. or What was it called? Country Captain Chicken. Okay. We didn't have that. It was very like, this was the old school stuff where it was like beef stew. That's what's in there. That's what you're getting. And it was pretty good. The beef stew and there was a chicken one as well. That I think it was like chicken a la king or whatever. Had some noodles in there. You put the little, you know, you had that little heater that the water activated heater that you'd have in the bag.
2: Oh, chicken and noodles. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 So you'd get that one and and the beef stew one was fine. It was a reasonable facsimile of beef stew. You knew that there was something not quite right about it, and it was always just a little bit off. And then you, of course, had the different, the random things that would pop up in there. You had your charms, the little candies that yes. came in there and things like that.
2: The, the thing is, you, you don't ask what it actually is. You just no. accept, accept it for what it is. Yeah, it's, it's calories, and yeah. that's what you needed. I, I do know they have breakfast ones now, and the yeah. breakfast ones are actually really good. Like this one with maple sausage, yeah. it's really good. It's easier to do breakfast foods because breakfast foods tend
1: to be, for whatever reason— Things that keep well or things that you can get to keep well, like eggs don't keep all that well, but you can uh, put in like a, a mixture of egg and whatever that will stay good forever as long as it's kept in the right conditions. The worst one when I was in was known as, on the bag, beef franks. It was known colloquially as five fingers of death. So it was five beef hot dogs that were... Just horrible. I mean, they had the consistency of hard beef jerky. I mean, it like on the outside, on the inside, they were softer, but they didn't taste good. So on the outside, you had this like hard casing with a soft, disgusting meat inside that would just gum up the works for like a week. If you had the five fingers of death, you knew your body was going to pay for it for an extended period of time. Problem was, you only had a certain number of MREs. And when they handed them out, like when you're with the Marines and the, and the staff sergeants handed them out to everybody, you don't go to, hey, hey, staff sergeant, can I, I don't like this one. Can I please uh, exchange it for another one? They would laugh at you, tell you to get out of there using, uh, Colorful language, Yes, typically. I mean, these are that's Marines. The,
2: that's that the good thing about, about being the staff NCO is you get to choose the MREs. You open the box, you get to pick yours first, and then hand the rest of them out to the guys. There was one in particular, I remember, being in uh, England with the
1: Marines. So we would do uh, live fire uh, training exercises outdoors in England because it was close to Iceland, and they couldn't do it in Iceland. There was no place to do it in Iceland, uh, and they're Marines, so they had to do it. There was a kid who it was just one of those Marines that you're like, really? <laughs> Your marine, <laughs> this guy just kind of just kind of didn't like one of these things is not like the other. He was just a little a little different from the rest of the marines, and I remember him going up to the staff sergeant who was handing them out. I think his name was Estrada, the staff sergeant. So he's handing them out. The kid comes up and he, and he got the five fingers of death, and he was like, "Staff sergeant, I've I've told that these aren't very good, and I wanted to see if I could exchange them for another one." And the staff sergeant told him, just looked at him for a second, and then told him, "All right, well, you know what." Give me a second. Came back with a little piece of uh, paper from his notebook and had a checklist. He was like, you need to get this exchange signed off by all the people on this list. And it was like, The gunny, the major who was in charge, the major who would go on to become a well-known figure in the Marine Corps uh, for his actions in Iraq uh, as a colonel uh, in, like, the Battle of Fallujah and and things like that. So, you know, the the kid thought better of it. He was like, I don't think that's a good idea, is it, Staff Sergeant? He said, you tell me. So he ended up eating the five fingers of death. What you would try to do if you got the five fingers of death was trade because there was always a lot of trading going on, and you would find those strange people out there with iron stuff. Stomachs who were fine with the five fingers of death but you were gonna give up all the good stuff you were gonna give up your Tabasco sauce your candy whatever else you had in there that they might want and then maybe for multiple days it wasn't just that one you'd be like all right you want me to take it I'm gonna take all the good stuff out of there and then I want it tomorrow as well and you'd see so you'd <laughs> see people who hated one meal so much that they would subsist on nothing but the main course from the other ones for, for days at a time just to get out of it once, which you know, was always funny. But, you know, MREs are an important thing. You need to be able to eat out in the field, and this isn't the Civil War where they'd bring a cook along with him. Who'd, you know, he'd have his horse pulling along a, a stove and oven and things like that. We don't have that capability anymore. Uh, it's just not feasible on yeah. today's battlefield. So the MRE, it's incredibly important. And the better it tastes, the happier the troops will be, although I think and you may be able to, uh, to vouch for this as well. When I was in Afghanistan, and our, uh, our our ones that we had there would be the the German MREs. As I said, I didn't didn't oftentimes. Uh, when I got to an American outpost, there was a, a dining facility there. We'd eat there with the Germans. We'd be so exhausted by the time we got to those MREs. We'd get someplace, the dining facility is closed. Here's an MRE. That's what you're gonna get. You didn't care what it was or what it tasted like. You just needed that stuff to provide you with the energy for the next few days. You know what I mean? Yep. It just doesn't matter what it tastes like. So good if you can get better tasting stuff. And the new MREs, from what I hear, are supposed to be pretty darn good.
2: They are because they sell them. Uh, sometimes I go to the commissary on Fort Myer right. here in Virginia and or here in Virginia, nearby in Virginia, right. and uh, they sell MREs for like five bucks a pop. And yeah. every now and then I'll get one just because hey that's a complete meal and you know Quick, all you need is a little water to
1: activate the heater thing yeah. and some of them you don't even need to do that I mean they're they're every MRE you could eat cold that was the other thing about it you know if you were in a place where. I don't know those little chemical packs that you put the water on. You did you couldn't use them. You didn't whatever the reason was. You could always eat it cold. Some of them were better cold. Mm-hmm. The beef stew one actually, like the cold version of it, was just fine. That's part of the part of the reason why I'd say that one
2: was good. one of the vegetarian ones. Uh, uh, black bean burrito or something like that was ten times better cold with the salsa they put in it. They, they attached to it. Yeah, was really good. That's pretty cool. But it tasted like crap when you heated it <laughs> up. <laughs> here's
1: a, here's another pretty cool story, and we're seeing this one in Military Times, that the first Afghan Special Forces instructor pilot to be trained in country is now doing his work there. So this is one of Afghanistan's helicopter pilots is now actually training people to fly them too, and that's a big deal. And these helicopters, and, and you can see it in the story there on Military Times, a story by Kyle Remfer over there, It's the MI-17, which is an Afghan aircraft that I'm very familiar with. When I was in RC North, I wasn't supposed to be flying on (laughs) MI-17s. It wasn't allowed for Americans unless uh, there there were Air Force flight crew uh, types that were training the Afghan flight crews how to do their job. um, And there were uh, Croatian pilots that were teaching the pilots how to fly. But there were no other Americans that were supposed to be on there or any other NATO people. It was like, these are not the safest aircraft so you shouldn't be on them and my boss was like yeah whatever you're going on to the aircraft you're going out there so i got to do it and it's kind of like being in a flying shipping container is the (laughs) feeling that you got just like an open kind of a cargo aircraft one door gunner um yeah we'd fly them out there to bring supplies to remote afghan outposts and things like that Well, as I said, Croatian pilots were teaching them in RC North when I was there because the Croatian pilots, particularly the older ones, had flown the MI-17 in the Yugoslav Civil War. So they were very familiar with them. They knew how to fly them. They'd flown them in combat situations. They were teaching the Afghans. Well, now you have an Afghan actually teaching his fellow Afghans. So that's part of the goal of what everything that's been going on in Afghanistan is is pointing towards is self-sufficiency so that we don't need Croatians or Bosnians to come and teach them how to fly the helicopters, that they're able to do it, and then those Croatian instructors can now stay home. They don't need to come out there. So that's, that's a big deal. That's a big move there, and it's something that is a lot more technical than most jobs that we're training people to do. So I think that bodes well for the uh, the future of, of uh, getting this done. Although it is, again, the first one, and this is 17 years after we went into yeah. Afghanistan, so there's one. After 17 years, is doing this, and I remember being on uh, a particular flight with um, uh, the the Croatians teaching the Afghans, or bringing supplies out to an outpost. I, we had actually gone a day or two before, and everything had gone well. On our way out there, one of the aircraft got lit up pretty heavily from ground fire, so we ended up having to uh, stop at a little uh, little airfield kind of out there in Sherbagon and. The one that they would gotten lit up had lost a lot of fuel. It maybe could have made it back to where we had left from in mazar sharif but probably not. So we took a landing, and there was a lot of frustration with the uh, the Croatian pilots uh, that were teaching the Afghan pilots on what the Afghans still did and didn't understand. And this was only nine years after. So now we're twice as long past that, and we've just gotten our first. So good news very good news that there's someone who'll be able to do this. And then the the counterpoint of that is only one in 17 years is the first one that we've got qualified to do this.
2: Yeah, it's good, but uh, a little late in there, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's better late
1: than never. I always say that. But these uh, these helicopters, which uh, the funny thing was with the Croatians teaching the Afghans where I was, the Afghans had also flown those helicopters a little bit back during uh, when the Russians were in Afghanistan, and then there was a war between the Russians and the uh, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. So the guys who had flown those helicopters when the Russians were there, here's the other issue that came up. They, of course, were people that were kind of allied with the Russian uh, government forces that were there, the Russian military. So there was some distrust between those who had been on the other side there and those who had fought alongside the Russians. It was a, it was kind of a whole mess of things that were going on and kind of the whole MI17 training program is kind of indicative of some of the issues with Afghanistan overall it's it's a little it's a little miniature version of exactly what the problems in Afghanistan are but again it's good uh, the US government says that by 2024 so 6 six years from now they plan to supply about 160 black hawks to the afghans black hawks yeah This is within uh, eight years. By 2024, 159 UH UH-60 Blackhawks. uh, The first ones actually began arriving in September, and they're training to transition the Mi-17 pilots to the new U.S. helicopters. Here's the other thing I can tell you. Having been uh, in those helicopters, both Blackhawks and Mi-17 spent quite a bit of time in each. Looking at the cockpit of an Mi-17 versus the cockpit of Blackhawk, it's like looking at the cockpit of, uh, I, I don't even know what to compare it to. Like, a, uh, what's the most basic car you can think of?
2: Uh, a sedan? Yeah, like a, like a
1: Toyota Camry yeah. versus the uh driving controls of, like, an F1 car. Like, there's a lot more going on in a Blackhawk than there is in an MI-17. The MI-17 is an aircraft that, as we said, was involved in the, in the Russian-Afghan war, which is the 70s and 80s. You're talking at least 40 years old minimum, and many of them were actually left over from that war, that were left behind from the Russians. They weren't brand new aircraft uh, that we were going up in. So, yeah, it was a... uh It's fascinating to me to see this um, and that, you know, again, 17 years later, they finally got one guy set to train people to fly the MI-17, and then within eight years, they're planning on moving them all over to Blackhawks. I don't know about that. We'll see. I mean, if if the learning curve was that steep on the MI-17, what's it going to be for the Blackhawk? Now, the other angle that you can take at that is that maybe because – they're now having more younger people, so 17, 18-year-olds who were born when the U.S. went into Afghanistan are now coming of age where you might have people who are just going to be a little bit more advanced. Uh, the, the learning curve may speed up quite a bit when you have people in there able to do it, uh, but again, Afghanistan, that's that's hard to say because there's so many issues there when it comes to Something as simple as literacy. I mean, if you can't read, you're not going to be able to read the manuals to fly a Blackhawk or an MI-17. That's an issue in and of itself. Anywhere outside of the major cities, you have you know, fairly low literacy rates if they learn how to read it's oftentimes because they're learning to read uh, the Quran to in in order to lead uh, uh, religious ceremonies in their village or things like that otherwise if you're going to be a farmer you're going to be doing whatever out there why do you need to read you don't need to read we're not going to waste time with that we're going to teach you how to do this job so yeah it's a uh, it's a little microcosm this helicopter issue of why Afghanistan remains such an issue and such a problem but as we said, better late than never. So congratulations yeah. to that pilot who's out there. Although you wonder now that you're seeing um you're seeing this uh this story on him and I'm not seeing his name in there. It's just talking about the pilot for obvious reasons. Uh, yeah. He becomes a target if you put his name out there. So, um you know, y- you wonder. I mean, we're not getting his name, but how likely is it that the forces over there that would like to take somebody like that out already do know his name because they often have people involved uh, you know a little bit of uh, undercover work people that are working with the security forces or with the Americans who are then reporting to the Taliban the Haqqani network and all the other people over there that's just it's a mess but it is what it is hey speaking of those Blackhawks that are going to go to Afghanistan maybe they're gonna pay with that with some of this new budget have you heard about the budget Jake well our budget <laughs> The new spending agreement, yeah, from uh, our budget, from the uh, Congress that's putting a ton of money into the military. In fact, the fiscal year 19 budget puts the U.S., quote, back to a position of primacy, according to Secretary of Defense Mattis. There is a large, large amount of... Uh, money coming into a flow into the military, which of course was part of the president's campaign saying he was going to rebuild America's military. I don't know if it needed to be rebuilt, but there are certainly certain aspects of it that could use uh, more funding. Of course, you'll have plenty of people who say the military doesn't get enough money. That's shocking to them because they see that the military has FY 18, $700 billion budget FY18, 706 or 700 billion in FY18, 716 billion for fiscal year 19. That's a number that, you know, it's going to allow you to maintain your aircraft, maintain your ships, maintain things that have uh, maybe fallen behind on maintenance. Uh, we'll see exactly what happens with it. But Secretary of Defense Mattis says it's a very good thing. And uh, some people saying this is the president keeping one of his main campaign promises of course that budget which included the defense budget uh and the agreement between congress uh it's uh and there are some people not happy with it of course of course I have a lot of people not happy with it. It did raise the debt ceiling, which, you know, there's a lot of people who said, hey, the Republicans were complaining about that during the eight years that Obama was in office. Why is it okay now just because the president happens to be a Republican? Uh, A lot of arguments about that, and I think a lot of the uh, different sides of the arguments certainly are valid. One thing that I think everybody can agree on, particularly veterans, most of us, not all of us, is that it's a good thing that our military is getting the funding for training, for upkeep, for operations, for everything that we need to do. Uh, more money is better for them. Absolutely. There's going to be a lot of people out there who say it's way too much money. We focus too much on that when we need to put money on the infrastructure in the United States. A uh, valid argument, too, that there is a lot of stuff. I mean, when you, if you're out there driving on the roads like I was this morning and hitting a pothole every 20 feet – you realize how important those infrastructure issues are within the United States. So uh, hopefully with this new budget, they can address both types of issues. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to IAVA's chief policy officer. Happy to welcome IAVA to the show starting this Monday. They will be our Monday guests at 730 Eastern and Pacific each Monday, And they're going to talk to us about the different issues that they're dealing with. And in fact, the budget that we were just mentioning, that's one of the things Melissa Bryant's going to talk about, as well as a study and poll that IAVA did on the issue of this military parade that continues to get a lot of ink in the media out there. Speaking of ink, well, digital ink anyway, check out ConnectingVets.com for the latest and greatest stories focusing on the military and veteran communities. Our entire staff, comprised of veterans and the veteran adjacent, working hard every day to get that stuff out there. Remember, ConnectingVets.com or on social media, at ConnectingVets, back with IAVA after this. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing for this Monday, February 12th edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. JQs is your producer, and, well, unfortunately, our guest has yet to arrive. I'm thinking it may be a traffic issue because even this morning when I was driving in at, you know, before 6 a.m., massive backups. There was an accident that causes, you know, all sorts of issues, so may still be some stuff going on. Maybe she'll make it in before we finish the show and we'll be able to talk about it. Maybe not, but hopefully we will, uh, be able to reschedule if we don't because i'd really like to talk about what the fisher house is doing which includes uh, basically giving people a home away from home while veterans and military members are receiving medical care at either va medical or military medical facilities so really some great work that they're doing so hopefully still going to be talking to him this morning i saw jake just go downstairs to check and see if uh she might have shown up uh, in the last few minutes and if not well you know you can always reschedule right phil briggs Amen, brother, and getting into D.C. any day of the week. The bird dog is in the house. It's never easy. The bird dog is in the bird dog house. Phil Briggs, of course, one of our teammates here at ConnectingVets.com, focusing primarily on the audio aspect of what we do, putting together some amazing podcasts, some things that might win a few awards come whatever the awards for podcasts are and radio <laughs> awards and things like that. I mean they are broadcast over the air as well as downloadable from connectingvets.com and I wanted to talk to you about a few of your uh, recent podcasts that you've put up there which include one on this parade idea. So yes. I've seen a lot of conversation about this. I had people reaching out to me like, hey, do you know anyone who really supports the parade? Who'd be interested in going on NPR to talk about it this weekend on All Things Considered or one of those shows? I said, "Uh, no, I, I don't really. I don't know anyone who's really for this thing, um, whether they support President Trump or not. It doesn't seem to be uh, an issue of that. This seems to be a bipartisan veteran issue of Hell no. Why, why would we want to do that, <laughs> especially if it's going to be during a time where people get the day off? Now, uh, the podcast that you produced on, I haven't had the opportunity to listen to yet, but what did you find out from the people that you talked to and who did you talk to?
0: Well, first it was fascinating, right? Because our own Facebook page will reveal hundreds upon hundreds of comments yeah. against this parade thing. And there was a couple different slants to articles that were published by various writers here. Yeah. Uh, we had one that was an opinion piece by JQs saying the troops just completely against this. Yeah. And he talked to some active duty guys that he still knows. And, um, you know, it was obvious. They 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 weren't interested in doing a parade. Uh, nobody really, I think, especially among the enlisted ranks where I remember, you know, my time in service was, um, you know, these big fancy events, whether it's a change of command or whether it's a parade, getting dressed up sweating it out in your dress blues or your class A's on your day off while fancy people give
1: speeches at podiums isn't fun. No, no, it's not particularly. And, and
0: it, it's and it's, it's something- no way to reward somebody. If you're looking to honor somebody and say, I love everything you do, how about you march for me for three hours and break a sweat and stand mm. at attention? I mean, somehow that doesn't seem like the best deal for the person that you're honoring. How about- so I got the
1: most of the comments, and I completely understood where everybody stood. How about we figure out how much it's going to cost, and then instead of spending it on that, you just break it down and give that as like a bonus for the military. <laughs>
0: and that was the second thing I discovered, was that a lot of people were against it, not so much against the honoring or the pomp and the circumstance, but on a fiduciary level, they were like, why spend millions of dollars to bring hardware and armament here so that arguably a president who's enamored with the military can can sit in the press box like he did in France mm-hmm. with President Marcon and... You know, feel great about our military. Yeah. Um, so I was challenged. I, 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 really was. I was racking my brain. Come Wednesday to find somebody that would be interested in being a proponent of this. Mm. So I reached out to three different people. Uh, the first shall remain nameless because he didn't care to be identified. But he was my he was my first class when I was in the navy. He, oh, he, he was my LPL. The one to blame, huh? He was my LPL. No, in fact, he agreed with the majority. And said that it sounds like, you know, the president's attempt to be a little bit self-satisfying and, you know, look at his military, look at our great service and just, you know, it's a little bit of a, dare I say, narcissistic kind of thing. But, it, but, but, but he felt as though it was the president's way of pleasing himself mm. by having this parade. And I've seen a lot of comments to that. Yeah. Uh, the second person I interviewed was interesting. Uh, the family member of mine, Vietnam veteran. Um, and he had said that, uh, you know, when he came back, it hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was 1968, 1969, and he didn't get a parade then. He feels as though it would be a little too late. And I would imagine as a man, I can't speak for everybody of that age group, but as a man, you know, in his 60s, um, <sighs> He probably sums up a lot of feelings that a lot of those guys have. And that is too little, too late. I know you want to be a champion of the military. I know you want to make it right. But for many men that were, many men and women that were kind of passed over and felt that anguish of coming back to a nation who was sorely divided over that war, a parade today just to them isn't interesting. They they don't want to see it. They don't want to view it because it just reminds them of how little they received when they came home. My third interview... For the article I wrote, which um, is still up, I believe, on ConnectingVets.com. And it's called POTUS Parade. Maybe it's not so crazy. The title comes from the third interview I did with a shipmate of mine who's about my age in his 40s. And I was surprised he felt this way because he was not political at all. When we surfed together, we were basically surfing buddies. It was yeah. the 90s. We, we went to the beach a lot. We PT'd together. We surfed. Uh, I never knew him to really have a passion other than the band Sublime. <laughs> yeah, he introduced me to that band, and we listened to music, you know, throughout all of our deployments. Right. Um, I never knew Dylan Gugemos to feel so passionately about Americana, about being a patriot. But when he told me his backstory, it kind of made sense. Mm. And I'll sum it up real quick for you. Um, he's Cuban. His grandparents came from Cuba, and right. they had to wait quite a long time and took an arduous journey from Cuba in the '60s. Which you can imagine, the context of the '60s wasn't easy to deal with getting out of Cuba. Uh, diplomacy and international, rela- you, you know, our international relations during the Kennedy administration. I mean, it was a fearsome time. We were on the precipice of a nuclear war with Russia because of, you know, they're putting missiles in Cuba yeah, because of what was going on fear. there. Yeah. So his family took the long road out of there. And I mean, some of them had to go to Spain. Some of them had to be broken up. This is his grandparents he's referring to. But uh, many of the brothers and sisters had to travel to different countries and wait upwards of three to five years to even get papers to come and legally come to America. Mm-hmm. When they did, their first thing when they got the family together in California was have these kids and say, listen, you are, you, we've, we've given you the only thing we can give you, American citizenship. You mm-hmm. were born here. You have something that we have craved our whole life and make the most of it. You are Americans. And his parents grew up feeling that way. Well, then Dylan's generation came around, born in the 70s, and they instilled in him this huge thing that's like, you don't know how good you have it. Right. You've never had to go through anything tough. You are an American and you must do right by your family. And it was actually told to him by his parents, who were first-generation Americans, that he should serve in the military. So unbeknownst to me meeting Dylan on this, you know, in the nineties, when I was in the Navy uh, behind him was this backstory of, this was the most important thing he had done with his life at the young age of like 22 was join the Navy. Mm. And it meant something to him. It meant something so much more than I could have imagined being that we were in peacetime and we were just guys on a ship together. Mm -hmm. It meant something huge to him. So he said that as he's watched this parade debate go on, he said he's noticed there's this kind of generation of entitlement right now where they just feel as though, I don't know, um, they've never had much to go through. A lot of them haven't had to persevere or adapt and overcome serious challenges. And they tend to just You know, I won't quote him exactly because he was pretty colorful, but they tend to just crap on everything. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't get motivated to be an American. They don't get motivated to be a patriot. They don't get motivated to feel the love and the joy that it is to have this experience that is only afforded to us by those that are willing to protect it for us. Mm. So he said, you know, he can kind of get on board with a national event of some kind a parade if you will but then i called him out and i was like dylan i was like come on we were commissioned an aircraft carrier together and i remember that day in november when they did the commissioning of the uss john c stennis and i mean sec def was there we had a president there there was all these fancy people there and it rained Mm -hmm. all morning in norfolk virginia and it was 38 degrees so i'm shivering in my dress blue soaking (laughs) wet watching this ceremony go down people are at parade rest all around the you know flight deck of the ship, I was like, Dylan, I know you want to feel like America. I, I know you want an event that would make America feel like we are complete badasses, but do you remember that commissioning ceremony? That sucked. Why would you want that for any other E4, E5 chief? Why would you want that for any other enlisted guy out there? It it wasn't rewarding for us. Hmm. And he said something kind of blew my mind. He said that, um, if I can find the quote in the article here, um, it was... It it was really surprising because he said that a lot of people see a parade as flexing, but he said realistically, and pardon the air,
1: the dead air here while I scroll down and find this. It's always captivating radio to hear people (laughs) scroll on a phone. You didn't have this ready, Phil? Come on. (laughs) He said, forgive me for not being politically correct. Which he says, you know, look, I don't even care if you forgive me or not.
0: But he said, if America wants to be the big bleeping bear, then we should act like the big bleeping bear. And a show of American force, a show of American patriotism is not a bad thing. Now, would a parade with all the troops and everything be what he has in mind? He said no. No. He said, it could be anything. He said, think about the uh, the drill groups and the rifle groups and the Navy leagues and the ROTC groups and all the different patriot groups out there and all the different people that are so happy to show support for the troops. W- convene them. Convene marching bands. Mm. And then, Eric, it dawned on me. One of the first events I remember you covering here for Connecting Vets um, was a huge patriotic event that happens every year in D.C. with Harley-Davidson's. It's Rolling Thunder, right? Oh, yeah. Hundreds and thousands of people, like I want to say it's almost 100,000 people roll into D.C., and there's thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of bikes. So I thought to myself, along with Dylan's kind of idea that we could have people that love the American military and love the troops, why not combine it with something like Rolling Thunder? And then it kind of got to me thinking... Why not combine it with all these celebrities that once in a while make a video and say, hey, you know, we love the troops or at their concerts, you know, kick off and, uh, you know, have a moment in the show where they drop the flag and they raise the glass and they make, you know, the big statement on stage about how much they love the troops. Why not bring some of them into DC? And now I see you squinting. So I think think these ideas are
1: all all bad. That's what I think. (laughs) Bear,
0: Bear with me. So why not have this huge day where we do it? And why not? bring in Justin Timberlake and Katy Perry and Zach Brown band and the stars of rock and rap and all the biggest artists and bring them in on a stage all weekend long. And we run a short parade on one of the days with all of the people that want to participate and tip their cap to the troops. And then while these huge things are going on, just like we do for hurricane relief, why not televise it on all the networks, put up a number where you can text a certain something to a certain number To give 10 bucks to a veteran related cause and raise tens of millions of dollars from this epic super celebrity event that happens all weekend long. And that's kind of the crux to the podcast. I end by saying that I kind of understand where our president comes from when he says, I want a big parade. I've seen these big parades. I see other countries do it. And I know that in his heart, at least this is, I'm going to give him a pass on this one. I feel as though. He loves and is so enamored with the military. One, he didn't serve. But two, he's probably awestruck when he looks at the power and the magnificence that we are as the United States military. So it's possible that he's just acting out and saying all this parade stuff because it's really the only language he knows. He's a reality television star and he's a real estate mogul. He's used to getting headlines and he's used to making big press. And maybe he feels as though that's the only way he really can express himself as to how much he values our military by wanting to put it on display in the biggest fashion possible. And to him, that's television or to him, that's, that's a national event. So why not give him that, but yet make it so as it raises tens of millions of dollars. And I end the podcast by saying this, and I hate to give away the ending, but I think it's worth noting here on your show. Um, If you, before you book a band, before you close off a street, before you pull a permit, before you ask a division of the military to put their armament on a train and truck it up to DC so we can put it on display before you do any of that, make sure you have a clear plan in place to raise tens of millions of dollars for veteran organizations. If you can't raise tens of millions of dollars for people that really need it, that should have more funding then the, than the idea is a non-starter.
1: No, it's not. Here's where the idea is a starter. I'm sorry, you just talked for like 14 minutes, so I have a lot of things that are in my head. (laughs) Literally, you talked for 14 minutes straight. That was a long time. Um, One, recruiting purposes. You do it every day. We spend millions— Yeah, it was my show. I'm supposed to do it every day, not some (laughs) Johnny-come-lately who pops into the studio. Recruiting purposes. How much money does the military spend to have flyovers at NFL games and things like that? Millions upon millions of dollars every year for these recruiting things. The Navy used to have a NASCAR team, and when the new commander of Navy recruiting came down— to Jacksonville where I was a public affairs officer and said, you work the Daytona 500. I said, yeah. And the Pepsi 400 as well. I don't know if that's what it's still called. I'm not a NASCAR fan. He was from Philadelphia. Right. And he pulled me to the side and said, I want to ask you something as the public affairs officer in the district that has the biggest uh, NASCAR event, how effective is it for us as a recruiting tool? I said, it's not. It's nice for people to see like, oh, the Navy has a car in that conversation. We don't get many good leads at these events. There's uh, too many people from out of town. There's a lot of problems with it. The Navy NASCAR team went away not that long after that, because I think he was hearing it from a lot of places. The way the military spends their recruiting money, not very effective. What would be more effective than having every military unit on national television in a parade, where it's just focused on them and it's not before an NFL game, an NBA game? That's where I think the argument could be made that it's a valid event because when we get started on fundraising and bringing in Katy Perry, you said yeah, big military supporter.
0: Well, I mean, I, doing I something I, I'm not aware of. I was like, just thinking of the biggest pop stars in the country that people would want to watch.
1: Oh, she'd love to come and do something that uh, President Trump asked her to do. I'm sure, based on her what she. Was doing during the election season. I, when you talk about the fundraising stuff, that's that's different. You can't use uh, recruiting money to do fundraisers. Like there are rules on that stuff. So if you can't use recruiting money to fund this thing, where's the money going to come from? Then it's 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 a funding. The funding makes it uh, a non-starter. Well, we'd make Katie sing for free. I mean that's the oh thing we god. Would. I don't even want to hear that. We pay would. me and then I'll listen to some of her garbage music. <laughs> I'm just. Not a fan, but um, Justin Timberlake, no, Zach Brown, man, yeah, fine, Metallica, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm just saying, bring in huge artists to have, and then it's not cheap, they They don't don't do that for free, but we'd ask them to do it for free. When's the last time somebody asked them to like support the military and put their true support on stage so that we could do a telethon to raise money for, um, Sorts to plow shares or uh, vet organizations that you know help with prosthetics or vet mm. organizations that help with uh, you know the suicide hotline or PTS or I mean
1: they have they've had a couple of those events. You were just it was one with Joe Walsh that he put on down in Virginia about what was well I say just there that was like seven months ago. No, no, or it was like September
0: that. last year. Yeah. That's kind was of what September? I was. Th- I, was really I was actually thinking about calling him out and seeing if he'd want to follow up with this with his friend uh, Senator yeah. Tammy Duckworth because she was outspoken against. The parade idea that the president brought up, and right. you know, actually, kind of, she took a pretty strong stance against the yeah. damn parade idea. But why not take the model that he started and do it on national scale, where it's uh, you text, you know, pride to five oh nine nine, and 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 yeah. ten dollars automatically goes to such and such fund,
1: maybe. Maybe. I just think financially it's a it's a problem, and if you could use the recruiting budget for, say, if you took money, <laughs> if you could fund it with taking money from things that we don't get good return on investment of for recruiting money, which I, I'm very well aware of that there are many of them out there right, right. having worked in recruiting and seeing the numbers on that, then then go ahead and do it. And some of the arguments like, well, it would be on a day that they would have off. You know what happens when you work on a day that you have off in the military? You get comp days. You, get, a you get another day, day off, right? It's not like they just force them to work and be like, well, guess what? You don't get Memorial Day or whatever. There there are you know arguments that are being made that are like, that. that's not a good reason not to have it. Money, that's a good reason not to have it. And also the logistics of it, good reason not to have it. As Jake was telling us, the closest armor to here is down in like Georgia. Like, it's not someplace close by where we can just easily get tanks up here. It would take a lot of time and a lot of money just to do that. Uh, And then there's also the fact that you have a bunch of uh, our military members in the same place at the same time in public, basically, being – open targets you know you would have no way of protecting a a parade that big of that magnitude against everything you could do whatever you wanted and then if the president's there there's an added level of security all the secret service for him and any other members of congress who would be there because if the military is doing a parade even if tammy duckworth disagrees with it guess what she's going to be sitting there during it Right, right, because if she doesn't show up that looks bad on her what you're a veteran and you don't want to support the military while they're out there One of the things that you mentioned that makes uh, a little bit more sense, but not quite from the angle I think that many look at it is uh, when they consider the statements the president makes, I don't think they consider exactly what he's doing. He's very good at public relations as someone who's been through training on that. If you say, hey, I think we should have a parade to honor our military, and then a whole bunch of people come out and say, oh, it's a horrible idea, and the parade never happens, guess what? You were the one who wanted to honor the military, and Tammy Duckworth and whoever else – they didn't want to, you know, they, they, they didn't want to honor our military. They don't care about doing something. You know, I at least looked into it and that's all that's happened. There hasn't been the parade is going to be on this day. It is right, now set right. in stone. He asked them to look into it. And as happens every time the president does something in this administration, the media reaction was over the top. Like he's ordered the Pentagon to have a parade. No. Cause then in your story, you say he's ordered the Pentagon to look at having a parade, right? There's a big difference. And it's a language he speaks.
0: It's <laughs> it's definitely a language he speaks clearly because he's had so much experience in network television shows and making big events like this. He's yeah. run beauty pageants, say what you want about him, But I mean, either way, he understands how to captivate the public's interest through the media. I mean, it's what got him arguably the seed in the presidency. Yeah, I mean, he he he's he's masterful at that. And I don't think we should necessarily you know, slack on the guy for his instinct to want to honor the military using some sort of big production because he thinks in big productions. That's
1: yeah. that's the language he speaks. It goes back to his business acumen more than anything I think, and it is if you can make the other guy publicly When you're dealing on the large scale that he did in the real estate industry, uh, if you can make the other guy look bad publicly, it makes you look good and it makes it more likely that you're going to get what you want. If you're building something in New York City and you say, you know, we've got this great thing, it's going to offer this to people, it's going to offer this, it's going to increase property values, I really want it to happen and I hope that the mayor of New York City is also going to want it to happen too because why wouldn't he? You know, this is going to make everybody look good. And then current mayor, let's say, Bill de Blasio comes out and says, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give him blah, blah, blah. And you know what? What about all the positive things that he said? Why don't you want to help out the people that live in that neighborhood? Right. Public relations and rhetoric are, uh, are are very closely tied together. And there's something that uh, not a lot of people have an, a, an understanding of, but they those people who don't understand it, those are the people who it's most effective on, <laughs> one way or the right. other, where, you know, if you come out screaming about this, uh, the military parade, doesn't necessarily look good for you. He's very good at that game. I know there's uh, a lot of people who don't want to give him credit for being good at anything or for doing anything right, and uh, I find that uh, a bad stance to take on just about anything or anybody, with the exception of the Kim family in North Korea. They're they're not very good at much other than killing their own family. Did you see the media coverage in the Olympics of uh, his sister?
0: Oh, God. oh you,
1: she's stealing the show. Oh, they she were smitten President, kittens. Vice I mean, President Trump's side eye. Oh, did she? Vice President Trump. Vice President Pence, That's side good. eyes. Oh, did she? Oh, yeah. Wow. She's a hero. Hey, have you heard about the prison camps in North Korea? Did you know she runs uh, their propaganda unit essentially over there? That she's not just his sister. She's heavily involved in a murderous regime that kills Hundreds of thousands of people. And when we're in a country where everybody's comparing everybody and everything to Nazis, it seems, every day, or to communists and socialists and Soviets on the other side, uh, maybe looking around the world at the one government that is perhaps most closely aligned with some of the tenets of national socialism, uh, you might want to not say that they're great and stealing the show. And, oh, look at the side eyes. Oh, Yeah. yeah, she's giving side eyes. Did she give side eyes to her brother? When her other brother had him murdered at a hotel <laughs> at an airport in Hong Kong with VX gas, fascinating stuff. I I, th- I
0: thought like it that. was telling that they had the Warmbeer family in the press box, and that that uh, 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 a larger story wasn't done about that.
1: No, that's no, a, because that's not you know like you know there there's it's 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 very irritating to me that. Uh, People have allowed the way that they look at everything to be so skewed by their dislike for a politician and and the hyperbole that goes out there where, again, we've heard it time and time again where it's like, you know, oh, uh, Pence and Trump, they're no better than the Nazis. They're no better than this. Well, yeah, they are a little bit. They haven't killed uh, quite a few million people in camps, uh, tried to exterminate races of people. Uh, Whereas in North Korea, you know what the difference between North Korean regime and the Nazi regime is? It's not based on religion just based on power, right, which is right. uh, which is uh, just as upsetting, I think, in many ways. Oh, also, they don't particularly like religion. They've imprisoned many uh, missionaries in North Korea <laughs> as well. So even that tie is a little bit there. But anyway, we're getting a little bit off the track. Well, if no, but I was to say,
0: full circle, though, to bring it back, I just think that, like, what we should all be trying to do is try to find the good that could come of something as opposed to just tearing things down. Try to look into it and find the opportunity to make something good. And uh, with or without Katy Perry, I think a concert with Metallica... Well, Van Halen and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of celebrities on the mall would be helpful if we could raise money for the right cause.
1: Well, it could be, I guess. I don't know. People talk about a show of power by a parade. I think we've shown quite a bit of power in many other ways in places like Afghanistan and Iraq over the years. But, (laughs) hey, call me crazy. I just met you, so call me maybe. All right, check out ConnectingVets.com. What's she doing, Carly? Oh, she's Canadian. Never mind. You can check out Phil's podcast and so much more on ConnectingVets.com. Eric Dame for JQ's in the Morning Briefing. Have a great day. We'll see you again tomorrow. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New
2: iPhone 15s? Over
0: here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with
1: eligible trade-in when you switch.